Here we go. Jake and Josh are here to analyze the game they love for the team they love. This is another Dolphins Podcast. Here's your hosts, Jake Mendel and Josh House. Welcome into another edition of another Dolphins Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are without Joshua Houts today, but it is the first week of the football season. I can't stop the craving, the need to talk football. So joining me today, I dragged him back on. Cat, you can find him on Twitter, at BrianCatNFL. My friend, how's it going today? Good. I, I'm happy to say, as of today, Lions versus Chiefs, first game of the year. And um, it's going to be about six months till we say that there's uh, no football. And uh, then half talk begins. So we've got the next nine months ahead of us. I'm looking forward to it. It should be a wild ride. I just hope something doesn't happen early on that totally derails the season. Hey, before we get into it, since this podcast is going to be dropped on Friday morning, I'd love to get your thoughts on Chiefs uh, lines just so we can instantly be wrong to start the pod, set the tone. You know what I mean? Uh, I'll go out and say the the Chiefs are going to run it like 42-17, something like that. That Lions defense, it might be better this year. I need to see it first. Yeah, lines will be interesting. I mean, I, I'm interested to see how Jameer Gibbs is the 12th overall mm-hmm. pick and all of those rookies they've got, uh, not only Gibbs, but Jack Campbell, Brian Branch, and a, a slew of other guys. Um, Kelsey is really questionable. Uh, injury doesn't appear to be as bad as it was. I'm going to say, there's uh, first game of the year, there's always some weird guy who puts up big numbers out of nowhere. I'm going to say Justin Watson comes in and has a hundred yard game for the chiefs and chiefs win 34, 24. Yeah. I have been, I'm in the same boat. It's just hard to imagine chiefs opening night. You get the ring hard to go against them, but Kat, the reason I brought you on four o'clock on Sunday, might be three o'clock, might even be one o'clock where you are located. The chargers and the dolphins play. Um, first, I'd love to get your thoughts about this matchup. I was talking with Merrick and uh, Josh yesterday and my feeling is that we're kind of, uh, they're kind of throwing this game on the back burner a little bit. It's This seems like it should be like a primetime matchup from the Ronaldo Hill storyline to McDaniel versus Staley. There just seems like this game has so much uh, fun stories to tell about it that it's a little weird that it'll be the, the second wave of games on that opening Sunday. Yeah, it's a great matchup in week one. And, um, you know, just going back to last year, I, I got to say that that primetime loss, 23 to 17, the Dolphins lose. You know, I've been a Dolphins fan for a long, almost 30 years. And and that was one of the that was one of the hardest ones for me to get over, to be honest with you, because at the time the Dolphins were eight and four. They just came off a loss to the 49ers, but Norton the San Francisco and winning's tough. This was the game I had circled of if you're gonna get over the hump, this is the one you gotta have. And they went in there to LA just pathetic on offense. Tua starts three for 17, I believe it was, and they were going up against a, a Chargers defense that had all of their guys missing. Derwin James, J.C. Jackson, Sebastian Joseph Day, uh, all of them gone. And they just could not get any answers. Game. And after they lost to the Chargers, I thought, well, we're going to Buffalo next week. Probably not going to win that either. You're going to go eight and six. And now you're looking at a nine or ten win season and a first-round playoff exit. So that's that was disappointing. But now this year – you have the Dolphins have the opportunity to redeem themselves. And and you go back to last year, remember, where the Dolphins faced Lamar Jackson in week two. And, you know, Lamar Jackson had that game circled on his calendar. And he comes out against the Dolphins and throws for 300 yards and rushes for 100, 
more and has four touchdowns. Uh, I don't expect Tua to do that, but, you know, looking at that, this is a revenge game for Tua from last year, and he's doing it against um, not only the Chargers, but also trying to write this narrative on the Tua versus Herbert narrative too. I'd love to get your thoughts on how that defense handled the Dolphins last year, because one of the biggest things we hear quite a bit is, um, you know, that Staley defense, he clogged the middle of the field and he played press coverage. Well, if you look at the first play of that game, it's Tyree Kill going in motion on a wheel route and he actually beats his guy in coverage. Uh, if Tua leads a little more with the ball, I think it's a, a nice pass down the field. Instead, it drops incomplete. Heck of a play by a defensive back. The thing that stuck out to me wasn't that the Mike McDaniel uh, play calling the scheme couldn't get it done. It's that there were just some tough decisions, maybe some slight uh, instinct type things that really changed this game. Yes, I understand that the Staley defense knew how to slow down McDaniel, but I do think the offense could have looked much better than it did, despite all those, um, you know, opposite to track type uh, comments. Yeah, it's the way the Chargers played it. Yes, it, quite obvious, and it's been talked about that that they flooded the middle of the field and really forced two at a throw to the outside and. That could be good uh, because if that could be good, could be bad. But they took away the slants across the middle that were always there because cornerbacks are terrified of Hill and Waddle. Um, and after they did that, another thing that they did, they did too, they played a lot of cover too and mm -hmm. mixed that in a lot. So there were a lot of different looks and it, Tua could – not get his footing uh, and not get in rhythm. And another thing I noticed when I, I finally look back at this game on the all 22, you know, that I hadn't done since last year, the chargers game from 2022, his feet, he was just jittery throughout the game. And usually to a, his feet and his eyes are very closely married together. Uh, but that was not the case in this game from the beginning. And the weird thing was, there was no reason for that. There was no reason for him to be jittery. It was almost like he went out there and said, Oh my God, uh, we've, I'm facing the chargers backups. We're just going to go bombs away and we're going to rip them apart. And then when that didn't happen, the entire rhythm was off. So uh, I'm looking forward to see how he responds in this game here in week one. How do you feel it, it really develops because you could take either side, right? Uh, McDaniel knows what Staley does well. So we're going to spend a month this off season learning how to attack the outsides. Uh, if anyone has time before the game, that second drive where the Dolphins start inside their own five yard line, uh, Tyreek Hill does a, a inside slant and he kind of clogs up two players. Um, and on that same play, you have Durham Smith running wide open on a wheel route to a, another play where you just throw some touch on that ball. You let him go get it. So, do you go back? Do you go back to covering the slants? Do you start covering these outside routes? Where will Staley go to really uh, begin this battle of wits if you've seen The Prince's Bride? Well, they, you know, as as far as, as the game plan here, it, the question is, are the Chargers going to have the same game plan and force Tua to beat that? And so if they, if they play a lot of cover two, clog the middle of the field, um, they have to get creative at getting Tyreek Hill open uh, on the outside in those one-on-one -on -one situations. A lot of times it doesn't take a lot of creativity, but the Chargers last year also with Michael Davis and with Asante Samuel played a lot of press up front and it worked. So like Michael Davis had the best game that I've ever seen a cornerback have on Dolphins receivers last year. When I re He was in the hip pocket of Waddle and Hill all game, except for the 60-yard pass where Davis fell down. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it was 
it was shocking to see how well he played for a cornerback that's pretty unheralded. So they're they're gonna. It, it, I expect them to force Tua to win outside the hash the, the hash marks in this game and, and and force them to adjust. And it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of other teams did did the same thing here now that they've had an offseason to look at the film. Yeah, and to do something like that, you instantly go to the out routes, the, the corner routes, different things like that. And, and one thing I want to bring up is because everyone loves to talk about Tua's arm strength. He even just mentioned how him and Justin Herbert are two completely different players. But it's one thing to throw those corner routes, those deep routes, when it's expected. It's another thing when defenses are trying to clog the middle. All of a sudden, that throw, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's a lot more makeable for someone like Tua. And I think that's something we got to keep in mind, too. This isn't the most you know difficult uh, adjustment to make, I should say. Right. And that's where I look at Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack going up mm-hmm. against Austin Jackson and Teron Armstead. Uh, hopefully. And hopefully, actually, Armstead, I, as of the time we're recording this, I, I have severe doubts Armstead's going to play. And if he does, he's going to play with three with three injuries. And you, you got to wonder, at, from that point, going up against Bosa all game, is he going to last four quarters? I, I would put my money on probably not. So that's the matchup the Dolphins have to overcome there on the outside. And it's really something that I, I'm, I'm hoping Armstead gets, gets back healthy and is able to grit out a full season here because that's so important because it, it's not just about protecting Tua so that he doesn't get hurt. It's what you were alluding to there. Tua has to plant his feet for his arm strength to not be an issue. When he starts trying to make off-platform throws, that's when he starts getting himself in trouble because he can't muscle it out there like Justin Herbert or like a Josh Allen. That's not the type of quarterback he is. But when his feet are planted, he has incredible eyes, he has incredible timing, and he's able to make just about every throw. Um, and when he isn't, you've got Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill there to clean up the mess. So that's, that's the matchup the Dolphins have to win. And to be quite honest, sitting here now, Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack against the Dolphins tackles. It's going to be tough to do. Something I heard that's interesting. I think both of those edge rushers put on about 20 pounds this offseason. So I'm interested to see what that's like. Joey Bosa missed a lot of last season with a few injuries. Um, So I think that really is going to be what sets up this entire game. Uh, The Dolphins actually ran the ball pretty well against the uh, Chargers last year. I think the issue is if you can't complete a couple passes, you're still just going to have to uh, punt the ball away. What are your thoughts on how Miami will use this wide zone scheme? Will they continue to attack that? Will not having Tron Armstead, will they still have enough mustard to really go out there and control the line of scrimmage they better and i've got some stats to piggyback on what you're saying there so last year the dolphins uh running backs raheem most and jeff wilson averaged just over four yards a carry against the chargers now a lot of those were on a couple of you know 10 15 yard runs which you know they they weren't consistent running the ball or as consistent as they should be because <laughs> the chargers run defense last year was almost historically bad it uh, so Against all running backs, or, or against everybody, against against every rusher they face, quarterback, running back, what, whatever, they averaged, they allowed an average of 5.42 yards a carry. That's 32 out of 32 teams. Against all running backs last year, 5.61 yards a carry. 32 out of 32. Against lead running backs, 5.87 yards a carry, almost six yards a carry, 32 out of 32 by a wide margin. So... There is no excuse for them not to be able to set up the run in this game. And if they do, then what you're going to see as well, you're not going to see Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa pin their ears back on third down 
or second and short in these types of situations and just get to the quarterback. But if the Dolphins don't establish the run and are playing for, and the Chargers are playing with the lead, that's going to be big, big trouble. That's been the theme all offseason, establishing the run. And I also saw the issue with the Dolphins, I think, all last year wasn't um, the amount or excuse me, the quality of the runs. It was just the quantity. They just didn't run the football enough. I think after the Chargers game, they actually ranked first in terms of success per running play. Um, so you could tell they really started to get into it. Raheem Moster had some great games. Uh, Buffalo instantly sticks out to me. Do you think that they are ready for the challenge? Do you think this is a situation where we saw all preseason, the Dolphins just run the football over and over? Was that how they're going to attack it? Or at the end of the day, is Tyreek and, and Waddle going to be out there and you say, all right, we got to go back. We got to do another keg stand with these guys. I would love for them to throw a little curveball here and come out with their finesse running backs, Raheem Mostert, Savan Akhmeter, one, two on the depth chart, but then make a quick turn to Chris Brooks. And I mean, Chris Brooks may not even be active for I mean, undrafted free agent out of BYU. This would be his first game, but he has the ability to be a sledgehammer that the Dolphins are missing. I mean, what a change of pace it would be if, if you, you know, they prepared all week for Raheem Mostert. And now you bring out Chris Brooks at 6'1", 230 pounds, and run him downhill against a really bad Chargers defense. And if you're able to pull that off, now, again, like we said, those defensive ends can stay at home a little bit more and not tee off on the quarterback. But whether it's with a fast running back or with uh, a bigger running back in Brooks, they, they've certainly got to establish the run. And I am hopeful about that part, given how bad the Chargers run defense is and how aggressive and good in run blocking this offensive line looked in, in preseason. Yeah, and one of the ways they try to do a little bit of everything, and it, it makes me a little jealous because I think Jalen Ramsey was going to kind of be like this in Vic Fangio's system, but it all really revolves around Derwin James at safety, an absolute study. You can kind of not necessarily scheme against them, but you can point out one player on the field. Um, Someone I wanted to bring up is Eric Kendricks. When you uh, see the Chargers walk, run on the field, you'll be a little surprised. Former Vikings linebacker, he's now with the Chargers. Is there anybody else you really circle on this defense that they they could be a game changer? I look at someone like Kendricks, but I, I always wonder those first couple of weeks when someone uh, switches teams, Lawrence Timmons comes to mind for me as someone like that, where it, he was okay, but it took a couple of games to get uh, comfortable. Well, uh, yeah, and it, it took a few games for him to show up, if I recall correctly, because yep. he just didn't show up for the first game. And I don't know why he wasn't cut immediately for truancy, but that that that's a whole different story. Um, so they're, they're really... I mean, you've really got stars carrying the Chargers defense, Bosa, Khalil Mack, Derwin James, and then you've got some role players, but nobody that sticks out as, as much. I mean, I, like I said, I think Michael Davis might be the most underrated cornerback in the league. And uh, JC Jackson didn't play much last year. He didn't play against the Dolphins. He only played a couple of games. They spent big, big money on him. So if the Chargers are able to press Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle and be effective in doing that, that's going to create a lot of problems. And it's going to, it's, it's going to create a lot of problems in combination with Boa or, or Bosa and, and Khalil Mack on, on the edge. So if those things get tied together, it could be a long day for two on the Dolphins. But the hope is, and, and the reason we have Mike McDaniel here is because we saw them get their butts kicked last year on offense against this, this team in the same building. Mike McDaniel is extremely skilled at adjusting. So, and not only that, but he's got the defensive coordinator from the Chargers last year. I'm not saying he was calling all the plays or that game was his brainchild. They've got him in the building now, Ronaldo Hill. 
Mm-hmm. So who better to help you prepare for this game and for this strategy? JC Jackson is interesting because I wonder if there's a buyer beware with this um, Belichick. You can even go Flores system of cornerback because JC Jackson last year when he did play four touchdowns allowed, just two pass breakups, zero interceptions. Um, so you're wondering if he can bounce back. But we have kind of a little theme here where I know Malcolm Butler was had an interview with the Rams recently, but or Falcons, I think it was, uh, but they never signed anything there. So, so that's just an interesting note to see if he can return to that player, that absence that he was in New England. The last note, and I think everybody knows this about Staley, and I think Mike McDaniel knows this more than anyone. Uh, the theme of Staley's defense, and I think this can even lead us into the Dolphins' defense, is a lot of five-yard runs equals one fifty-yard pass. You need to play a perfect game to stop these defenses, and. Until the Dolphins show they can kind of put together a drive, none of the pre-snap penalties, then we'll see them start to walk up and down on the Chargers, I think. Yeah, I mean, you look at last year again. I hate to go back to it because it was such a weird game um, and such an uncommon game. I I mean, so crazy. Like, this is how crazy this game was last year is that if you take out Tyreek Hill's 60-yard touchdown where Michael Davis falls down, Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill had 13 targets on the game, five catches for 52 yards. I mean, that is so much below anything we saw at any game th- this past year when two was quarterback. So yeah, a, a lot of things are going to get switched out. I, I got to be honest, Jake, I, I forgot your question. Oh, no, I was just going to say, do you feel comfortable in terms of um, pre-snap penalties really became an issue? And I think in order to do the, to complete the theme of you need a lot of five yard runs to equal that 50 yard pass. If you're going to take all those five yard runs, you can't be going back. The pre-snap penalties have to go. So how do you feel based on just this preseason, uh, Mike McDaniel's comments, that they'll be able to just kind of put together a clean string of plays in order just to kind of walk down the field? It won't be challenging, but those mistakes are really what derail you. To be honest, it, right now in week one with Connor Williams' snap issues, with Armstead uh, probably not playing, in my opinion, or, or very, playing very hurt, Eichenberg somehow is looks like he might start at center, our, our left guard. Um, Austin Jackson, I'm praying for the kid. But other than Robert Hunt, you've got a bunch of question marks. And this is a game where the Dolphins cannot lose the turnover battle. I know you can say that in every game, but, you know, you you look at the Chargers offensively. Uh, Justin Herbert threw 699 passes last year. He He had only 10 interceptions. Austin Eckler touched the ball over 300 times, only lost one fumble. This is a Chargers offense that doesn't turn the ball over a lot. So if the Dolphins can't get that part of their or their game corrected, if on the offensive line you've got guys missing blocks, high snaps, Eichenberg being pushed back, uh, Austin Jackson giving his usual two or three whiffs a game, no, that that's going to not only cause problems, but it's going to ruin the game. Let, let's flip the script here. Let's turn to the defensive side of the football. Vic Fangio, he was not – a coach in 2022, he spent some time with the Philadelphia Eagles, helping them for their Super Bowl run. Now he's in Miami. He's the highest paid defensive coordinator in the league. Based on every comment he said, based on the fact he spent an entire year off in a hut, let's just say studying this game, what are you expecting out of this defense? Is it going to be fireworks week one? Because this is a defense that you need to be very smart. You do a lot of instinctual uh, uh pursuits on the field so is it going to be something where it might look a little ugly at first or do you think they'll be able to hit the ground running just based on the sheer talent they have my hope for the strategy um against the chargers with vic fangio is that they make austin eckler beat the dolphins running the football 
And that may seem counterintuitive because Eckler's a great back. He averaged 4.6 yards a carry last year. But he against the Dolphins last year, 15 nothing carries nothing. for 45 yards. And a couple of years ago, his only other game against the Dolphins at 18 carries for 60 yards, 3.3 yards a carry. Now, that doesn't mean us necessarily much this year, but the Dolphins are paying Zach Sealer, Christian Wilkins, David Long, Jerome Baker, and then you've got Jalen Phillips on the edge. That front seven, I, I think, needs to play with a lot of discipline uh, and and hopefully stop Austin Eckler on those runs with some light boxes. Because what I observed last year, too, is in the first half, Austin Eckler caught six passes for 60 yards. It was a big problem where what was happening is the Dolphins were sending five and six uh, guys back just, you know, Typical Josh Boyer, get the quarterback at all costs. And when they were doing that, Herbert would take a step back, let uh, Chubb and Phillips rush upfield and just dump off a little screen pass there to Austin Eckler. And to Boyer's credit, they adjusted in the second half and he only caught, he caught like two passes for five yards. But when that switch happened, the Chargers went from just running a train on the Dolphins to just scoring six points against them in the second half. I think that needs to happen again. There needs to be discipline with not only stopping Austin Eckler with light boxes, but also on the edge, Chubb and Phillips pushing their way forward and playing with a lot of gap discipline on the outside. That Chargers offense last year, it was, I don't want to say boring, but it was a lot of dink and dunk. It was just kind of taking what defenses give you. Um, one play sticks out. It was the fourth down play on the Chargers opening drive. They did that. They attacked outside. I think it was um, uh, Carter, I think his last name was. Uh, it started with a C. Uh, they stop him on fourth down because Cater Kohu made a nice tackle, pushing him out of bounds. I I'm very curious to see how this Chargers offense operates because now it's Kellen Moore calling the shots. And last year, Dak Prescott missed a handful of games. I think he's still set a career high in terms of interceptions. This is going to be an offense that looks very different from next or last year. When the, when the Chargers start pushing the ball downfield. Last year, I think one of the biggest issues, especially one-on-one -on -one isolation coverage, uh, the ball's going over your head. You panic a little bit. You pull some jersey, right? You have no one behind you. You just get a little scared. Having those two safeties back in that Vic Fangio scheme, how does that make things look different as Kellen Moore's offense is going to try to push it downfield more than we saw last year? Yeah, that's the plan with Kellen Moore's offense. And I I, I don't disagree with that step necessarily for Herbert at this point in his career to be more aggressive. But personnel-wise, you've got Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Quentin Johnston. Is that really a wide receiver trio to to get deep that prides itself on deep speed? I, I don't think so necessarily. So when you talk about the safeties being back and the receivers being the big bodies, Keenan Allen six three, Mike Williams is six four, Quentin Johnston six three. These are massive guys. Now they can win contested catch battles, but I would much rather be dealing with that on the outside with you know going up against Xavier Howard, Cater Kohu and uh, presumably Eli Apple is the third guy, then be dealing with a lot of speed uh, for Herbert to work with. So, yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And the other part of that, too, Justin Herbert's completed in his, in his career, um, you know, what I think about 68% of his passes, mm -hmm. which I don't have the exact number in front of me, but it's it's between 66 and 68 that's extremely high for a young quarterback, obviously. And he's accurate short. Uh, and I'm not saying he's not accurate deep, but when 
you start trying to push the ball downfield, it puts a lot more stress on your offensive line. And in a game like this, Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips, if they if they have four or five seconds to get to the quarterback, they they probably will. So it'll be fascinating to see if there's a lot of dink and dunk with Herbert, where last year against the Dolphins he completed 39 passes to two as 10, which I don't think I don't think I've seen that big of a discrepancy between two quarterbacks in a game. Mm-hmm. Um but he he threw a lot of safe passes because those safe passes were open. So it could be a bigger change this year if Kalen Moore is, is is pushing him to throw the ball deeper downfield. I'm not saying this is going to happen or that players watch their stats too, but there's also this um, maybe this fear in the back of Herbert's head. I mean, I go back to um, original Ryan Tannehill. I forgot who the his uh, first – Mike Sherman. I think the idea was just be safe, don't make any mistakes, don't make any mistakes, the defense is going to win the game. Uh, I'm not saying that was Herbert's offense, but it was, let's play it safe. Let's just move the football. I do wonder if there's going to be a scenario where, you know, Kellen Moore, maybe we're throwing it ball, the ball just 15 yards farther downfield, nothing bananas, but maybe Herbert starts to get a little afraid, wondering this has a higher rate for an interception. I'm just going to dump it off a little bit more than I should just because he's used to it and has that in his head that don't make mistakes. Let's just take what we can get. Yeah, we'll see because Herbert, you know, it sounds crazy to say, cause he's thrown for so many yards, but he's a he's a game manager by nature, and th- that's why when I watched him in Oregon, and I I, I wasn't as high on him as other people, um, I've obviously been proven wrong on that. But you know, there were so many games where I, I would just come away from watching Herbert against Arizona State, and the Oregon would win twenty to seventeen, and I would just be leaving that game thinking, eh, you know, it's just okay. It was a good game, but you 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 didn't see him open it up and just start taking advantage of these college kids. And, no and I thought if, if you couldn't do that at, in, in college, how are you going to do that in the pros? Well, he has for the most part, but he still likes to complete a high percentage of his passes. He'd rather go 32 or 30 or 30 for 40 than put up a stat line like, like two, I might want to, where, where you're completing a lower percentage of your passes, but you're hitting 40 and 50 yards, these, these chunk chunk plays. So, you know, how much of that game taker mentality is, is Herbert going to lose if any? Um, and if, if he can combine the ability to protect the football with the ability to bomb the ball deep and complete a lot of passes downfield, then, then the Chargers really have something for a long time. Then, then we're, you know, for years, it's always been the Chargers of the dark horse Super Bowl uh, prediction. If it works out, I mean, yeah, that synergy can take them real far. Um, what's the next factor? What's the uh, position group or even the player that really, really defines this game? Yeah, so defensively, I'm interested to see um, if Cam Smith gets on the field. And mm-hmm. if he does, not a lot of tape on him. And one criticism with Herbert is sometimes he throws the ball a little bit too late. Well, if he's going to throw the ball a little bit too late and you've got Cam Smith lined up against Quentin Johnston, it could be some potential to jump a couple of routes there for Cam Smith. Um, cause he, he certainly has very good short area quickness. He's been hurt for the last month, but he'll, he'll play in this game. I, I'm hoping that sooner rather than later, he takes over for, uh, for Eli Apple. Um, and offensively, I would love to see two players on the field a lot. Um, not just in this game, but throughout the season, along with Tyree kill and Jalen Waddle, Alec Ingold and Braxton Berrios. I, I love, I would love that look because, Look, Alec Engel, they just re-signed to a contract extension. It seems like a lot, four or five million for a fullback, but 
to me, uh, short of Kyle Juszczyk, this is the best fullback in the game. They need to treat him that way. He was on the field for almost 500 snaps last year, but only touched the ball 24 times. You know, this is somebody as a fullback that can that can beat linebackers. And we started to see that at early part of last year. I don't know if you remember the Patriots game where there was this play action and he two ahead Tyree Hill uh, open deep. But he chose to throw the ball to Ingold, and Ingold had beaten his linebacker, and two had just barely missed him. And then there were a couple more plays that were just a little bit off, and then the Dolphins never seemed to go back to that. I'm hoping that they got a lot of that ironed out, and instead of, of seeing Ingold catch 10 to 15 passes, you see him catch more like 25 to 30 to provide a little bit more of that X factor in the, little, in the middle of the field on those, on those short passes. Yeah, that's a good point. I wonder if it's just one of those things where it's just slowly coming together. I think last year was the his first receiving touchdown as well. Uh, so maybe it's just a step-by-step uh, type progression with him. And something to keep in mind, Trent Sherfield, Mike Gesicki, they weren't major parts of the Dolphins' offense, but that's 100 targets that got to go somewhere. And I think Alec Ingold is just so versatile. I mean, if they're going to load up the box, you, you bring him inside to run the football. And like you said, he can beat the linebackers. Um, you know, what's crazy though uh, about what you said is, is you're right. Sherfield and Gesicki were really secondary options on the offense last year. Those two guys combined for almost 1200 snaps last year. So when you think about that, and then you look at the players that, that the dolphins could put in their place, I'm really excited about that part because <laughs> I want to see a Braxton Berrios or a Cedric Wilson in his second year where he's looking a little bit better in place of, of Gesicki and, and Trent Sherfield. And lawnmower is going. That's awesome. Uh, but what I should be saying is uh, it's important to keep in mind, too, that Mike Gesicki was on the franchise tag. He was being paid as a top five tight end. The Miami Dolphins were last in the league targeting, targeting tight ends 13% of the time. That's like driving with with just a, a massive – that's your check engine lights on all the time. You don't know what the issue is, but I just wonder if there's another level of comfort just knowing that there's going to be someone who kind of fits that mold a little more. You know, tight end's not going to be a sexy position, and Dolphins fans just need to accept that. Uh, I'm fine with Durham Smythe. I, I, I really am. It's like I think he's, a, he's, he's an assignment-sound player. He's a good blocker, and he's going to catch the ball when it's thrown to him. I'll take that at 3 or $4 million a year or whatever he's making. And also Alec Ingold, I, I kind of put in that tight end group too. Um, lines up as tight end a lot. Um, I, I hope they get a little bit more creative with him. And then Julian Hill made the roster. And we'll see what we have there. He, he beat out Elijah Higgins for that, uh, for that third tight end spot. And you got Tyler Croft as the second guy who uh, beat out Eric Saubert. So tight end position is looking a little bit different than we may have predicted. Yeah, Julian Hill, definitely not early on, but, you know, we – 12, 13, I could see him being like a tight end too, like all alone in the end zone. Just some play where he just happens to be wide open. That seems like something McDaniel would do. Before we wrap up here, can I get a final score prediction? Yeah, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go 28-21 Chargers in this one here. And look, I, I, it's a shame that Jalen Ramsey and Teron Armstead uh, are hurt. Um, we, as of the type of recording this, we don't know if Armstead's playing. Hopefully, if he can get in there and gut it out and, and have a good game at left tackle, I think I think that changes things dramatically and the Dolphins could win. But on the road, week one, um, with that matchup on the outside, I, I think the Dolphins are going to have to be really, really creative on offense to get two of the 
the time he needs to throw. And hopefully the running game helps with that too. But that's my concern. Look, I, I think this is going to be a good year for the Dolphins. I'm, I'm not discouraged, but uh, I think this is going to be a tough game for them to win. I'm surprised I listened to a couple of Chargers podcasts and they felt the same way on the opposite way. I wonder if it's just being a little negative early in the year, but that's also what we do as Dolphin fans. At Brian Cat, NFL Cat, thank you so much for joining us, man. Happy football season, and uh, I look forward to doing this again real soon. Sounds good. Me too. And, and just so you know, if, if, if you have me back on next week, I do think they'll beat the Patriots next week. So it'll be a happier version of, of my predictions uh, uh, next week if I'm back on. Love it. Looking forward to it, man. We'll definitely be doing that. Thanks, Jake. Thank you.